Welcome to the Dell Spirit and Truth Podcast, where we wrestle with questions from the pew. This is Casey. And this is Jenny. Today, we're going to delve into how to hear from God. Casey, is that even biblical? Well, I certainly hope so, because if it's not, then we're all in trouble. Why? Well, the issue is, if God just comes and saves you and then just goes away, we're left to our own devices and our own ability. And so we're dependent on ourselves rather than God. So is there any scripture that would back up that we should be able to hear from God? Yeah, one of my favorite passages is actually in John chapter 10, verses 25 to 27. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So my sheep hear my voice. So that tells me that God does speak to us and that we can discern his voice. So we should be able to hear from God. We should be able to discern him. A lot of people nowadays would say that that the Bible is the only way God talks, that he can't speak to you. He doesn't communicate with you. It's just through the Bible. It's just through reading the Bible. That can be rather problematic because we don't have any example of that in Scripture. And the derivative of where people kind of get that idea is from the cessationist point of view. So what is cessationism? So cessationism simply means to cease. So it is the concept that the supernatural that was at the birth of the church, the miracles that Jesus performed, the miracles that the apostles and the times of the apostles performed stopped. And so there's this cessation. They ceased from occurring anymore. But there's a problem with that because we don't see an example of that in Scripture, like, hey, this is going to end at this point in time. What comes to mind for me is in Mark 16, which is like the Great Commission, according to the book of Mark, and he talks about these signs will follow those that believe. And it lists out different signs, among which have casting out demons, laying hands on the sick and them recovering. And so it's interesting that it says those that believe and not just believe. these signs will follow the apostles or the disciples. Again, this big idea of God's not speaking anymore. He's given us the canon of Scripture, the completion of Scripture. We don't need anything else. Um, that's all we need to follow and obey God. I would agree to an extent that, yeah, this his word is pure. It is perfect. It is true. Right. But when you're coming to this idea that, that the, the way in which God spoke to the apostles at the beginning is going to somehow change— I mean, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And so that means something has changed within us, not within him. You even see it in the Old Testament where he spoke, and you see it in the New Testament. But I think the big scripture that a lot of people go to is in 1 Corinthians 13, um, where there is this concept that when that which is perfect is come, that's the term that we see in the scripture, then all of these things shall cease whether that be prophecy, whether that be knowledge, whether that be tongues, these things shall cease. And And people interpret that to say and mean that, oh, well, when the Bible is canonized, that's the perfection. That's the completion that they're talking about. So let me just read that scripture. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8, it says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease where there is knowledge it will vanish away for we know in part and we prophesy in part but when that which is perfect has come then that which is 
in part will be done away with. So they're believing that which is perfect is the Bible. And Correct. Okay, so the they canon think, of scripture. The canon of scripture. So once the scripture was canonized into the current Bible that we have, that now it's perfect, and so that which in, was in part would cease. My problem is is that there's some things listed here that we still have. Like you can make the argument that prophecies will fail and tongues will cease, but it also says knowledge. And so it says that knowledge will vanish away, and mm. we still have knowledge. And so to me, it just doesn't even make sense in context unless you chop out certain parts of that scripture. Even even with that line of thinking, the issue is that which is perfect. That which is perfect has come, has always been, un, been understood from for hundreds if not thousands of years of the church to refer to Jesus' return, right? Mm-hmm. You don't need to prophesy when he whom we are prophesying about is here. You don't need tongues, this spiritual communication with God, when he who is God is standing before you face to face. Now, we look through a, a curtain a sh- dimly. We look through a, a mirror dimly. Like, when he's present, we don't need to prophesy because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Well, if Jesus is standing before you, you don't need it. Right. You don't need so, tongues. You don't need words of knowledge. He's right there. Right. So that makes much more sense because if you think about, like, us being with Jesus, um, that, that we aren't going to need more knowledge. We're not going to need, you know, more understanding and things like that. And so it to me, that verse makes so much more sense saying that which is perfect would be Jesus' return versus the canonization of Scripture because then I can take the whole verse mm. and not just parts of it. And that, that concept of the canonization of Scripture being the interpretation of that verse is a modern invention. That's a new belief system. That has not been the history of early church fathers onto recent history. Wow. And so really where did that come in? Well, it was a slow creeping in when people stopped seeing a lot of the miraculous. And the problem is you can't build a doctrine around your experience. And that's what people have done. I feel like that, you know, it's humility to, to read the Bible and to say, hey, there's some really strong things in here that I'm not seeing in my life. And so humility would be like, I'm wrong, but the Bible's right. And then like pride would be like, well, I'm not wrong. And so let me twist scripture to make it match my life because I can't, you know, I love the Lord. I'm dedicated to him. I, I have five degrees, you know, and so it can't be that I'm missing anything. I wouldn't say it's like this overt act of twisting scripture. It's more of I want to give God an out. I don't want him to look bad. I don't mm. want my belief system to be questioned and then God's reliability to come into view or into question. And so it's it's really a a weak form of faith. And I know that might sound harsh to some, but I mean, I want to take the scripture at face value and I want to believe what he says to be true. The word says, if you have faith, the grain of mustard seed that you can say to the mountain and be cast in the ocean. And when we see Jesus and all the apostles, all the examples in scripture of praying for the sick, it's a saying to the mountain, it's a speaking and saying, be healed, rise up, go wash. You know, they're command prayers, and we don't see these weak prayers of, Lord, if it's your will, we ask that you would heal this person. And so do you think that those sort of prayers are coming from that place of giving God an out if we don't see a miracle? Absolutely. It gives the consolation to where it takes the onus of responsibility off of God. And so would you say that those are prayers of faith? If you have an addendum, if it be your will, no. 
they're actually removing faith from the equation and giving God an out when it's their lack of faith that might be the very hindrance itself. In many instances, I would say, yeah. And so I, I could understand where you're trying to protect people from disappointment. You're trying. That's to pro- a huge part of it. Right. You're and protecting yourself from disappointment is generally where it boils down to. And you may even be protecting yourself from looking bad. And then, then that's just, that's pride. I feel like with the whole disappointment thing, with my journey with God and being able to go to him in intimacy, what I've really discovered is that I was really afraid of disappointment. And I was afraid of disappointment because I didn't know how to go to him with my heart to hold me in that disappointment and to carry me through that disappointment. So I just had these self-protection mechanisms, which I think a lot of these things we're talking about, these weak prayers, these give God a an easy out, is really just a lot of protecting us from disappointment. And I think that stems from having a wrong understanding of disappointment and not knowing how to let the Lord really minister to you and disappointment. And what it's done in my life is changed me from being completely guarded into a place of being able to be vulnerable because I know that the disappointment isn't going to be so big that it's going to shatter me or break me, but it's actually an invitation into deeper intimacy with the Lord. The big question that I think a lot of people would have is like, well, why wasn't I healed or why didn't God take care of this? Why didn't he take care of that? Why wasn't this fixed? And so there's there's a lot of questions that arise in people, but I wonder if people would use the same criteria to their sin. It's like, oh, I sinned again. Does that mean God's not true? It's like, oh, I, I failed again. And I slipped into whatever sin it may be. It's like, oh, I lied again. Would you hold the same criteria? Like, oh, I prayed for healing and it didn't happen. It's the same thing because it's all rooted in faith. You either believe that Jesus took your sin away at the cross, or he didn't. Right, and by his stripes you've been made well, or he, or it's not so. I mean, it's all rooted in faith. You're saved by grace through faith. You stand by grace through faith. And the same way in which your sins are forgiven by faith is the same criteria and the same means you see people healed by faith. I mean, how many times did Jesus say your faith has made you well? It's like over and over and over again in the scripture. I would say the issue is that we we want to hold a double standard to things that that are beyond our our ability to comprehend because it's spiritual. Like when we, when you talk about like oh, you sin, you repent, you're forgiven. All right, good. But you don't hold the same standard to prayers of faith. You don't hold the same standard to being a a faithful disciple. Like there's this weird disconnect that takes place in a lot of people's minds. I mean, I was there. I, I completely understand it. The issue is we never follow the logic of our thinking and apply it to everything. We don't follow it to the end degree. So one of the big shifts for me in this seeking the Lord and seeking the fullness of everything that Jesus died for on the cross, not just salvation, um, but actually like wholeness, um, having, you know, heal, being healed, being delivered, being set free. And I had to recognize that it wasn't broken on God's end, that it was humility for me to realize if I pray and I don't see healing, it's not that God doesn't want to heal. It's not that he can't heal. It's just that I am missing some information. I'm missing, like, I do not believe it's broken on his end. And so I don't believe I should stop pursuing. So many people have this concept of Jesus died to forgive me of my sins. Absolutely true, but that's not the end goal. 
I think a passage that that really speaks volumes to what you said is that he cares about the whole being, like he cares about you as a person, is in John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus dying for our sins was a means of entrance into intimacy with God, was a means to know him. Right. And that is a biblical sense of knowing. It is an intimate knowing. I love how the word salvation doesn't just mean like saved from hell. It means wholeness. It means healed. It means delivered. So when Jesus came to save us, he didn't come just to get us out of hell. He came to make us whole now. And I feel like that that is such good news. One of the big things that I go to whenever I think about hearing from God is the Holy Spirit. In John 16, 13 through 15, it says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. That to me says that when Holy Spirit comes to me, And this is before Holy Spirit has come. Jesus talking about Holy Spirit coming in the future, that he will tell you things to come. And how can you tell you stuff without speaking to you? Um, He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you all. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, he said he will take of mine and declare it to you. So I feel like Jesus right here is saying when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to tell you stuff. Absolutely. He's going to lead you into all truth. And and this is what. Paul says over and over again in his letters to the churches is like, I pray that the Lord will grant you understanding you who are spiritual judge discern. Like there's this onus on you to hear from God and to judge and discern whether what Paul is saying is true or not, because the Holy Spirit's the one who guides you in all truth. I mean, you see John in his letter, first John saying that you have no need of a teacher and you go, well, hold on a second. You are a teacher. Like, no, all of you have the anointing. Well, what's the anointing? The Holy Spirit. You all have the teacher of truth abiding in you. It's not to say that God hasn't given teachers for edification to the body. He's saying that, no, the judge of all truth is going to be the Holy Spirit in you, not what other people think or say. You haven't been taught the precepts of God by man. Like It is by God in whom Paul learned directly. Right. And so I feel like the cessationist would take this scripture, which I feel like is very obviously about Holy Spirit speaking to us, and they would say, well, that was just to the apostles. And so how do we know that's not just to the apostles? Was Paul talking to the apostles in those letters? No. I mean, when you look at that context in John 16 from John 14 to 17, it's one conversation. It's one comprehensive conversation where Jesus is leaving them that evening. So that wasn't originally broken up into four different conversations. That was all one conversation. So in context, we would need to read it all together. Absolutely. And you would see that he's praying for the disciples. He's praying for them to know and understand truth. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. John 17, 20. So that's us, right? That's the entire church. All of those who would believe on the preaching of the apostles' doctrine. Okay, so in context, Jesus is saying, I'm not just talking about the apostles. Correct. I'm also talking about those that will believe through their words, which their words are the scripture. So it's us who are believing the scriptures. Mm -hmm. 
you know, that just goes back to the importance of context. And I think being raised in the church and just reading a few verses a day, not realizing that I had to take the whole lump together and really understand who he's speaking to, who it all applies to, um, that I believe the word to be true, but I think I was misunderstanding a lot of it. And so if we take this in context, it really what it's saying is I'm giving you the spirit of truth. He's going to guide you in all truth. He's not going to speak on his own authority. He will tell you things to come. So the Holy Spirit's going to tell us stuff. Yeah, absolutely. We can hear from him. And that's the whole point of this conversation. And so we look at the Old Testament, and by golly, Moses spoke to God face to face. And that was before the Holy Spirit came. Correct. And so we have, you know, Exodus 33, 8 through 11. You can go read that. And it just um, is talking all about, you know, Moses speaking to God face to face. And Mm. so here we have an even stronger scripture. It it says that he spoke to him as a friend. Mm. Mm. And And everyone was astonished by it. They would all come sit and just, all right, what is God saying, Moses? And that same, that, that really to me mimics that same passage in John where Jesus is speaking and he says, I no longer call you servants, but friends Mm -hmm. for friends are about their master's business. Right. And and Moses was a servant and there's a, there's less formality. Uh, And and you have to take that into consideration. You go back and look at Moses and you go, he spoke to him like face to face. He was a friend of God and you go, so we're digressing in intimacy and revelation after Christ, or after are we, the giving of the Spirit? Yeah, after the giving of the Holy Spirit, or we're regressing past where Moses had intimacy to to the children of Israel, saying, "All right, we have to go to someone else." So, if the cessationists believe that it's only through the Word of God that He speaks, and we look back at the Pharisees and they had the Torah, they had the original Word of God, and they they believed it, mm-hmm. but then they missed Jesus. They somehow like knew the word perfectly, kept the law, but like the Sadducees didn't even believe in supernatural, didn't believe you could hear from the Lord. And so here we are, it's kind of like modern Pharisees and Sadducees, like the modern version of we just believe in the word, but we don't actually believe you can hear from God. Well, I want to give the Pharisees more credit. They believed that you could hear from God. (laughs) It was the Sadducees that did not believe in the supernatural. And so that's... And so was Paul a Pharisee or a Sadducee? Paul was a Pharisee. He believed in the resurrection. And so we see that he... Many Pharisees came to faith. Right. You you don't see in the, the book of Acts many Sadducees coming to faith. And that just makes me believe just personally that when you're seeking the Lord, because I was a Pharisee, when you're seeking him with your whole heart, like you will find him. James 3 says, and draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Yeah, I was a Sadducee then a Pharisee. <laughs> <laughs> And so there's a progression there. There's progression. So for me, I, we can't talk about hearing from the Lord without talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Right. And so we are continuationist. And what does that mean? Well, we believe that it all continues. So it's the opposite of cessation, <laughs> the opposite it, of it ceasing. It didn't stop. It's going. Right. And to me, that just gives me such hope that there's more. There's more than just a book. There's more than just a list of rules. There's actually an invitation into encounter, into abiding. And abiding doesn't just to mean studying. To knowing God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about a list of different gifts of the Spirit. And I just want to read it. It says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For the one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. 
but one and the same spirit works all things, distributing to each one as he wills. The one I want to talk about today is a word of knowledge. So what's a word of knowledge, Casey? So basically just take knowledge that's something you can learn, but a word of knowledge is a supernatural information download, so to speak, into your mind or into your heart or however the Lord gives you that word of knowledge It is supernatural in its origin. It's not something that you come across by your own logical endeavor and reasoning. And so originally, the the only way that I knew how to receive words of knowledge was through reading the word and having revelation. It's like I would read... But that's revelation. That's not necessarily a word of knowledge. That's true. That's true. Well, in my mind, pre believing in the gifts Mm -hmm. you know i thought that that was like a word of knowledge was when i read scripture and i didn't understand something and i learned in bible college we'll just pray and ask holy spirit to help give you understanding Mm -hmm. and so i'd pray and then i'd read it again and then some thought would come to mind of you know kind of revelation it would make sense it would click right i think a good a good picture is we have a very christianese type language that we use in the church all the time of like the Lord speaks to you, the Lord speaks to you. I think a good thing is to understand that he communicates. He's the great communicator. And so I think that really envelops what you're saying, that he communicates to us in a multiplicity of ways through our senses and all aspects of our senses, but also in our mind and in our heart. I remember when I was learning about words of knowledge, I recognized, oh, that's happened to me before. And so I just want to share what happened. But whenever I was young and I opened my first salon, I was like 19. And I had this really aggressive atheist that would come deliver me hair color every week. So every week he would come in and he was, like I said, he was like an evangelical atheist. Like he would have some sort of argument of why God didn't exist. And every week um, I would give him like my argument of why God did exist. And So this one week he came in and he asked me this really deep question and I just off the top of my head just explained it to him. And to me, it felt so much like common sense. It felt so logical. It felt so apparent. And I explained it to him and he, his response was really kind of what took me back. He's like, whoa, he's like, that is the best answer I've ever heard. And he's like, I've asked multiple pastors. I've asked so many people. And and in my mind, I was like, well, I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me. And it wasn't until a few weeks later that I was listening to a sermon that was explaining the exact same thing that I explained to him. And then I thought to myself, hey, I've never studied that before. I've never even thought of that before. I wonder how I knew that. And so once I was learning about words of knowledge, I recognized, oh, God gave me a word of knowledge for him. And that's how I was able to explain these deep theological truths without having ever studied it. And so, um, Casey, has that ever happened to you where you've recognized a word of knowledge? Yes, it's it it doesn't come about as just a logical conclusion of my train of thought. It was a it felt natural in the moment, like, oh yeah, it was common sense, but it came across as a bit of information that really kind of stopped someone in their tracks. That they're like, How do you know that? Like I don't I don't I don't know how I know that. That's not from me. And, you, and you're kind of taken aback and you're like, oh, well, that wasn't me. I couldn't have known that. In the same way that when I read my kids a story, they're in their minds, they're imagining the story, right? And there's nothing ungodly about that. There's nothing like demonic or new age about them imagining the story. And so 
in the God created our minds. He created our imaginations. And so it's in our minds that we have our thought life, that we have our thoughts. So it would just make sense that the Lord could speak to us in our thoughts. And so if I said right now, imagine standing in your kitchen in the same way in your mind's eye that you could see your kitchen is the same way that you could see a scene that the Lord might be showing you. And so I have been given um, like a scene before whenever I met someone and I shook their hand and that scene was from the Lord and it was something very intimate that that person had been through. And when I was able to share it with them, um, to them, they understood that only God would have known that and that it made God more real for them because they recognized that he, he was there, he saw, he was with them, they weren't alone. And it brought so much healing because they knew that there's no way I could have known that thing. And so in the same way that we can see something in our mind's eye, we can also hear. Like if I said, imagine your mother's voice or imagine hearing your favorite song in your head. The same way that we could play that tune or hear that voice in our head, the Lord can speak to us in our mind. And so he can speak words. And so some people hear more often, they hear from the Lord, like they hear him say words or scriptures or things like that in their mind. Some people more often see from the Lord. They're more visual in their minds and they they receive information visually. I've also heard of people audibly hearing the Lord speak. Have you heard of that, Casey? Yeah, I've heard examples of that. I think some of the greatest are when, when Jesus speaks out loud to Paul on the road to Damascus and everyone around him heard the audible, loud, out loud voice. And they're like, whoa, what's going on? And so there's different responses to that, right? Yeah. Some people heard thunder and they didn't hear a voice. Other people heard a voice. Right. We can also see visually, like you can have a vision in your mind, right? Like where you see those, that picture, like you could see your kitchen in your mind, but you can also have an open vision. And what is an open vision, Casey? That's where your eyes are open. And this isn't a spiritual example, but it is something that you can bridge the gap in your own understanding. Say, Take, for example, you're driving down the road and then you realize, hey, I've gone 20 miles and I haven't, I don't recall where I've been. Those kind of instances where your eyes are open, but your mind is somewhere else. You're, you're completely out there and you're like, I don't know how I'm double tasking at the moment. Now, a spiritual experience, like it would be an open vision to where you can see something that's going on in front of you. And it's like it's movie or these pictures that are going before your eyes. And it's not like you're seeing it in your mind. You're seeing it with your eyes open. So it's interesting that you gave that example because one of the guys I know that had a huge open vision and it was the Lord just healing deep things in his heart and showing him stuff happened while he was driving. And he can tell you when he went into the vision and he can tell you when he came out and he was miles away from whenever he started. So there was a part of him that was still driving, that was still cognitive enough to you know, safely drive. But, um, but he had this huge vision. And so the mind is so interesting. Now, also, I don't think we can talk about words of knowledge without talking about feelings. The Lord's emotional. You know, the the scripture talks about God and his emotions and Holy Spirit being grieved and Holy Spirit having emotion. And Jesus, you know, he was happy. He was sad. He was angry. Well, it's part of an attribute of personhood. You look at artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence isn't a person, right? It has a mind and it has a will, but it doesn't have emotion. Mm. Right. And so you look at a person, God has emotions, his mind, will and emotions. And so I know people that are highly sensitive emotionally and they'll pick up on other people's emotions in a tangible way. But before they really understand that this is 
supernatural information about someone else that they're receiving, they think that it's them. So they think, oh my gosh, I just got really anxious for no reason. Or, oh, I just feel super down. What's something practical that someone can do whenever they sense those emotions? If it's an emotional word of knowledge, you really just need to evaluate yourself. You go into your heart. Have I been anxious leading up to this point or is it sudden? Did I see someone that I have something against? That would have right? spawned that, would, that emotion. That would spur that emotion to come on. So it's it's a self-check. It's a self-evaluation to go, okay, is this me or is this not me? Whenever I first learned about this, I remember the first time I, I know it had happened to me many times before, but I remember the first time acknowledging it happening. I was in a room by myself and, and I was completely fine. And someone walked into the room and when they walked in, I was riddled with anxiety and there was just this shift. And I was literally just like mixing hair color. And so there was nothing on my mind. I wasn't thinking about anything. I didn't have anything against this person. I wasn't upset with them. I wasn't scared of them. And, and so I recognized that I was getting information about them and I turned to them and actually addressed it because I, I had rapport with them. I had a relationship and I just said, you have so much anxiety. And this was a very stoic lady. It was a very private lady. And she just broke down crying. And the, the fact was her husband was dying from Parkinson's disease. And I think she was just being strong and being stoic and holding it all in. And I think the Lord was giving her an invitation to be weak and to, to cry, to release that emotion and to not just try and carry it all herself. And I think that's why he, and so I was able to minister to her and pray over her. And so it turned out to be really beautiful, but that was my first time of acknowledging now dozens of time before that, I probably felt a flush of anxiety and just thought it was me. And I think that's one of the traps that the the feeling type people fall into is thinking, oh, it's just me, instead of recognizing that it could be outside information. So I love those practical ways of hearing from God. The other thing that I just want to talk about is how we can tell the difference between a thought from God. Like if I'm asking God a question, I'm having my prayer time, and I'm like, Lord, what do I do about this? And so what, Casey, how can I tell a difference between my own thoughts and God's thoughts or where can thoughts come from? All right. So we have three possible locations or sources um, for a thought in your mind. I think the best practical thing that we've learned in being able to discern whether it's your voice or some other source is, is it spontaneous or is it logical? Is it a progressive logical conclusion to the train of thought? Like I'm thinking this and it's moving me into this thought, into this thought, it's like into a, this B thought. A leads to B, B leads to C, C right. leads to D. It's not just like I'm at Z all of a sudden. And I'm like, well, I don't know where this came from. That would be a spontaneous thought. And so if it's a logical course of your thinking, that's going to be you. That's going to be the source of your own mind, your own soul. Now, the other two possible origins of thoughts in your mind, if they are spontaneous, is going to either be the Lord or the demonic. Um, because that's where you can get led into deception. Now, what you need to judge is on that thought that popped into your head, what is the fruit of that thought? Right. So if I'm there and I'm thinking that I'm sad and, and something happened that made me sad and the thought is, well, you don't deserve to have anyone there for you. Yeah, that's not God. <laughs> right, because that's condemning, that's not filled with grace, that's not filled with love. If you're looking at thoughts of condemnation, guilt, or shame, right, the Lord is not going to guilt you to love him. He's not going to shame you to love him. It is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. It's not guilt, it's not shame, it's not condemnation. 
and even thoughts towards others. It's, it, you know, the Lord's thoughts are gracious. It's going to be in grace and love and peace. Forgiveness, mm-hmm. not bitterness, anger, accusation, blame. Right. You have to look at the fruit of those thoughts. Right. And so if I hear from the Lord and maybe I'm really upset with a person and I'm like, God, like, you know, they, they really hurt me. And and then he prompts me of reminding me of um, good things about them and and things that I should celebrate about them spontaneously come to right. mind then what it's producing in me is grace what it's producing in me is forgiveness and so that would be a, a prompting from the lord or impression from him and so if you're here and you're thinking well i don't really receive from god or I, that's never happened to me i think it comes down to learning how to abide how to abide in him how to spend time with him how to commune with him you know jesus has that long discourse in john 15 about abiding in abiding in the vine and us being branches so next time i really want to talk to you about how to abide like how do we abide with the lord where we're in communion with him where we're talking back and forth where he's with us where we continually feel him and live with him and why we think that that is what jesus is talking about in john 15 he's inviting us to abide with him until next time we bless you to walk in spirit and in truth 